Word of God. We're continuing on our theme of let hope arise. I was praying again this week about what God would want me to say to you, what He wants to say to His people, what He wants to say to the world. And we've been on this theme now. This is the eighth week, and uh, I just have no leading from the Lord to get off of it because it makes sense. We need to continually to let hope arise as things seem to get darker and worse in the world around us. Uh, the chaos seems to be increasing. We need to dig into this word even more and let hope arise. The only way you and I are going to do that is if we keep our eyes on God. So today, I want to bring a message to you I'm calling what to do when you are between a rock and a hard place. Do you know where that phrase comes from? That phrase comes from Homer's Odyssey, where Odysseus, he was had to pass through, here was his choices, he had to pass through this, uh, this, this pathway, and he had to choose between a treacherous whirlpool, right, which just sucks you down under, he looks at the a treacherous whirlpool, or he has to pass through a horrid, quote, a horrid, man-eating, cliff-dwelling monster. <laughs> what would you choose? Sometimes, like right now, many times, that, that's what we feel like our choices are. What, what am I going to choose, President Trump or Biden? Neither one of the best choices. We all know it. But the, see, that's the highest office in the land. That is why many times we use the phrase, the, the, the lesser of two evils. Because when we are voting somebody into the highest office in the land that has the greatest power to influence over our lives... That person's got to be perfect. They got to be on my page with my agenda and my value system, or I just right. And so that's a hard decision. Or what about wearing a mask? Not wearing a mask. Well, if I wear a mask, I'm going to be considered a sheep and a fool because I'm just being uh, duped by the government and the conspiracy. If I don't wear a mask, I'm considered selfish and that I'm uh, infecting others and I don't only care about myself and not everybody else. Right? I support the organization Black Lives Matters. Okay. Oh, really? So then you're an anarchist. Or I don't support it. Oh, you're a racist and a bigot, right? I mean, th these choices between a rock and a hard place. Do I really share my feelings? If I do, I might get canceled. Seriously? If I don't share my feelings, then only one side is getting the message out there. And that's not fair. That's not freedom of speech. That's not what maybe is built on. And then I feel, like a, I feel like a coward. I can't speak. Or what about believing the Bible? And what it says about the social issues of the day. Do I say I believe the word of God and then I'm considered a racist, a bigot, a hater, closed-minded, backwards? Or do I not believe it and uh, deny my faith and be a coward? See, these are tough choices. Our, our, our nation is between a rock and a hard place right now, and it's in the minutia of every issue. Relationships are at stake. Churches are at stake. I have some pastor friends of mine that just say the wrong thing, and they, their intent's right, but they're, what they say may not be right, according to some people. Others, it's great. And, and all of a sudden, people are leaving the churches, and they're blasting their pastors, and doing it to politicians, and the police, and the protesters, and the, I mean, it's just, a, we're between a rock and a hard place. Well, you know in the Bible, the between the rock and the hard place is a consistent theme from cover to cover. And when you are between a rock and a hard place, you can think, and in the natural, it's true, there is no way out. 
There's no good way through. There's no way around this, under this, or over this. It may be your marriage, it may be your finances, it may be your relationships that you just said. There's no way these relationships are ever going to be good again. There may be a physical condition, a sickness, a disease. The doctors say there's no way out, there's no way through. Between a rock and a hard place. But in every rock and a hard place in the Bible, when people look to God, God made a way through. Or out. Or around or under or over. God always has a way out. That's why, America, we have got to lift our eyes to God. That is not pie in the sky. It is not some religious pontification. I'm not hyper-preaching. It is real. God can get you and God can get us up and out and through this, even to a place that is so much better than we even have in our imagination. I'm going to be preaching next week on that, so you want to catch that. But today, I'm going to look at the reality of what I'm talking about. I'm going to look at one story in the Bible that we're going to dissect here about being between a rock and a hard place. Let's see what they did to get out, and we can do the same thing. Okay, you ready? Here we go. We're going to look at a story in the Bible of Moses and three million Jews that have been set free from Egypt by God through Moses. If you don't know the story, uh, Egypt is the most powerful regime in the world. Uh, God's people have been taken as slaves, 430 years in slavery. I mean, their mentality is we are slaves. We are victims. We are in bondage. We are oppressed. That's who we are from generation to generation to generation. And then God brings them deliverance. And he says, go out into the desert and worship me. That, by the way, is the destination. Relationship with God. That's what God was after. Not just freedom from oppression, slavery, bondage, bondage to sin, bondage to self-will, whatever it might be, addictions. It's not just freedom he's after. It's relationship with you. Relationship with America. God wants America to turn back to him. I'm prophesying to you right now. God wants our nation back, his nation. We have given ourselves over to humanism. That's what we have done. We, we, my ideas, my agendas, what I think of, no, it's what God thinks that matters. He wants our hearts back. Same thing with Israel. He wanted Israel's heart, not just their freedom. So he allowed them to get into a situation where there was no way out but by looking to him. That is where we are right now. <laughs> Many times God will allow your situation to get to a place where the only way out or through is with him. He's the only one that has your victory. So, let's read the situation. And let's see what they did about it. As Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, the king of Egypt, approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. That's what we are as a nation right now, or in your specific individual situation. Panicking. Pandemic. Panicking. See what I just did there? Up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them like the coronavirus. Overtaking them like what's happening. They cried out to the Lord, good call, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? See, as though that's what Moses did. 
as though that's what God did. But when your eyes are only on the natural and you only see the virus and you only see the chaos and you only listen to the, the news and the media and the propaganda and all that, you can say, why did God bring us, why did God create this nation just to bring us to this point for us to die in the wilderness? Well, that's obviously not what God has done. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness, accusing God, accusing the leadership of bad motives? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Now they're getting cheeky. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Now, this is interesting. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Uh, no, I don't remember you saying that. Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. Watch this. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. Man, when you decide that it's better to die than to go back into your situation, you're between a rock and a hard place. You know, this is an interesting psychological tidbit. I'm going to throw this in for free. Psychologists tell, you, tell us that when we're in a negative situation, especially with a relationship or a place that you're working and you thought it was great when you got hired, but then you get into the, into the reality of it. There's people you don't like, people you got to work with, the boss not being fair, not getting that raise, getting overlooked or whatever, or you say, I do at the altar and you just got all these butterflies and, and you're in this puppy love. And then after a few years, you're into the transition period and you got this four-year itch and the seven-year itch and, and then it's hard and, and you know, you're in a friendship and things don't go right. You're on a sports team, whatever it might be. And then you think back to the last relationship you had and all of a sudden all you can remember are the good things. Then you're comparing it to your current situation. That's called selective memory. Psychologists will tell you that. I've counseled so many people that are in relationships, and I knew them, if I passed them long enough, I knew them when they were in a, a past relationship. And they start talking to me about, well, when I was with so-and-so, man, it was good. And I say, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me remind you of when you were in my office in that relationship. You see, we have selective memory. And so here, they're saying, it was better for us in Egypt. Well, if you read what happened to them when they were in Egypt, it was not better. I promise you that. But that's what we do in our minds. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse of the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. I love what Pastor Josh wrote this week out to the, his worship ministry team. He said, come out of fear and into faith. I read that. I read his whole little deal he sent out. And that phrase, pop, jumped out of me. When I talked to him about it, he said, I got that from God. I said, oh, I could tell, man. It hit me when I read that one little sentence. Sometimes you'll get a God thought, and it is the most potent thing you write, the most potent thing you say. That's why it's so important, church, that believers, Christians, you and I, listen to God and say what he is saying, because his word brings hope when there is no hope. His wisdom brings light in the darkness. You've got to be able to give God time to hear him, so that you're a hope peddler, not a chaos peddler. What are you giving people? You're supposed to be a messenger of Christ, a messenger of peace. And you can be, but we got to do it God's way. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. That's ridiculous. For preachers like me to stand up and say, God's going to get us out of this. Just watch. And you're like, you're an idiot. You're just pontificating. You're hyper-preaching. Well, that's, I'm sure, what they felt about Moses. Just stand still. There's an Egyptian army coming at them on one side, and there's a sea on the other side. There's no way out. 
And Moses says, just stand still. Well, what are we supposed to do? We can't fight the Egyptian army with their chariots and their soldiers. And we can't walk on water. What else are we going to do? He says, look what he says. I love this. He's such a shepherd. He's such a pastor. Such a great leader. Look, stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. I'm saying that to America. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue us. The Egyptians, watch this, the Egyptians you see today, this virus you see today, this chaos you see today, you will never see them again. They will never be seen again. How? I don't know. But he does. They didn't know. But Moses knew that God always makes a way where it is no way. You've got to believe that in your situation. Or you will sink down into fear and depression and anxiety. If you're sucking on social media all the time, forget about peace. Forget about hope. Forget about love. If you're watching the news and you're just that, that's what you're doing is constantly getting this, this little like a, a, a fire hydrant uh, uh, spray of negativity. Forget about it. You can't hear from God. Because you just got all these voices in your head and all these opinions of people. You got to shut it down. Listen to God. He's the only one that has wisdom for our situation. You will calm your heart. You'll never see him again, he says. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. <laughs> Can you believe he told them that? I mean, you've got to use your imagination to picture the situation. An army that's coming after you and you turn to run from them and all you got is a body of water that's impossible to cross. You're stuck in the middle. And he says, just stay calm. <laughs> I just want to say that to you. It's not ridiculous. If you're in a relationship with God, I want to say, just stay calm. He's going to take care of you. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people, get moving. Where? God, when God speaks to you, so often it is illogical, irrational. He'll tell you to do something that doesn't make any sense at all, but you've got to do it. And we're going to get into that in just a second. I'm going to break this down. Tell the people to get moving. Okay. Thank God I gave him another instruction. Pick up your staff and raise it over, raise your hand over the Red Sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on the dry ground. Now the fact that he did it is pretty darn remarkable. But here's the thing. Moses had already seen God do this ten times in Egypt. The ten plagues of Egypt. God had already used Moses in this way. So Moses understood now how to partner with God. But it wasn't that way at the beginning. And I want to say this to everybody because we're all on our spiritual journey in a different place. Some of you are just starting out. Some of you have seen God do something once, twice. Some of you have seen God do something 100,000 times. The more you walk with God and the more you listen to him and the more you obey him, the easier it is to obey him. Because you've seen him do supernatural things and get you out of between the rock and a hard place things again and again and again. So you, you cultivate 
this obedient heart because you know God's going to come through. But it wasn't that way at the beginning. When God called Moses and he said, hey, I'm going to use you to deliver my people from Egypt. Moses said, me? Me? No. Uh-uh. Bad choice. I told the Lord that when he called me to be a pastor. I told him point blank. I said, that's a really bad idea. I am selfish. I only care about me. And you and I both know that. Do not call me to be a pastor. I told him that. And then one day I was standing on the corner near my, in my neighborhood and a couple of my employees that I had led to Jesus, but they had backslidden. And uh, I was weeping. I was weeping over them. And I said to the Lord, with tears coming down my face, I'm like standing outside of myself, watching myself weep over these two people. I said, why am I crying? And he said, I've given you a pastor's heart. I was like, oh my gosh, can you take it back? I don't like this. You see, God called Moses to be a shepherd, a leader, a deliverer of his people. And Moses said, no, not me. And then God said, pick up your staff. And he said, now throw it down to the ground. He threw it down to the ground. It became a serpent. Now he said, now pick up the tail. Picked up the tail, turned back to the staff. And then he told him to take his hand. And he said, put it in your shirt. He did. And it came out. It was leprous. He said, put it back in. It came out and it was clean again. What he was saying was, your hand, your capabilities as a human being, if you will let me have your hands, I will do supernatural things. Your skill set, he was a shepherd, so his staff, your keyboard, your guitar, your computer technology, whatever it is, even in the medical industry, your salesperson, or your, whatever it is that your skill set is, if you will throw it down before God and then dedicate it to him, and then you pick it back up, God will work through you and your skill set to be a healer and a helper and hope to your family, to your world, to your place of business for the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. That's why Moses was able to do this. He had set himself apart to God. He had set apart his ability, his skill set, and said, God, I'm yours, let's rock. And then they delivered 430, I'm sorry, 3 million Jews after 430 years of oppression. He used Moses to draw them out and to bring them out. Isn't that a great story? But that could be your story. That can be your story. Okay, so there's three things he did. What did Moses do uh, when he was between the rock and a hard place? Three things. you got to jot these down. This is for you. One, he listened to God. Look at this scripture. I love this. We all experience times of testing. This is 1 Corinthians 10. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. Don't think when you're going through a hard time, oh, woe is me, poor me, nobody else understands my situation. Yeah, we do. Everybody goes through testing. Everybody goes through a hard time. But God, everybody say, but God. But God. But God. Come on, say it again. But God. But God. All right, here we go. That's all I got to work with here. But God will be faithful to you. Will be faithful to you. God will be faithful to you in your trial. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. My wife and I like to say, yeah, what we're going through is hard, but could you imagine us going through this without the grace of God? That's how many people go through trials in life. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. They haven't come to Jesus. They don't experience his presence and his power and his favor and his protection, his sustaining grace. God says he'll sustain you on your sickbed. 
Some people are in a sick bed without the sustaining grace of God. Some are in a sick bed with the sustaining grace. There is a massive difference in those two. Well, I'm going to read that sentence again. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. Every test is another opportunity for you to trust God. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. I'm going to read that again. For, uh, for along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that, that will bring you out of it victoriously. But many times, it's not anything that you would think of. Right? So... Remember the famous axiom that Einstein said, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. That's why we need God thoughts. That's why we need God thoughts. God can get us out of situations. You remember the time that the disciples, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let's go from where we are to where we want to be. And so the disciples get in the boat, so does Jesus. And all of a sudden a storm hits and the Water's flooding the boat. They're drowning. They're fishermen. They know what this means. They knew that lake. They know storms. They know when it's dangerous and when it's not. And they were like, we're going to drown. And there's Jesus asleep on a pillow, calm. God is calm in the midst of our storms. If you connect with him, you can be calm too. And they woke him up and said, don't you care? Isn't that amazing? That they asked God, the God of love, Jesus, the Savior, don't you care about my life? Some of you are feeling that way right now. You're thinking that. Don't you care? Don't you see me? Don't you feel me? Don't you care about me? Why would you let this be happening to me? Why would you let this water be filling my boat right now? And all you're doing is sleeping. You're not doing anything. And Jesus gets up, calms the storm, and says, Oh, you have little faith. And then it says they were immediately to the other side. God can get us to the other side that fast. And you know what was on the other side? A demon-possessed man who was so bad, they had him in chains living in the caves. Jesus shows up. The guy gets completely set free from demon oppression, possession, harassment, torment. And it says he was sitting in his right mind. He restored his peace of mind. Jesus wants to restore some of your peace of mind right now. We're on one side. We got to get to the other side. We're in the midst right now of the storm and water is filling America's boat. Water may be filling your boat right now and you're freaking out. But listen, and your mind is tormenting you. You can't sleep. Your thoughts are negative and fearful. Jesus can get you to the other side and give you back your peace of mind. But you have to call out to him. So you say, well, well look at God's thoughts. I love this. Because you say, how's he going to do it? I don't know. Look what God says about God's thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways and thoughts are higher than your ways. We need God thoughts in our nation. We need God thoughts above President Trump, above the Republicans, above the Democrats, above the medical industry. We need God's thoughts above every entity, every organization, every individual. We are in a mess. And we can't get out of the mess with the same wisdom we got into the mess with. We need new wisdom, new ideas, new ingenuity. We need God. He can drop thoughts into your mind that are the solution to your situation. He's done it to me so many times. And it's not anything I would have thought of. 
I mean, here's uh, Joshua going up to Jericho. That is, if you don't know the story, it was a it was a, a fortress, a city that had a wall that was so thick you could literally race seven chariots side by side on this wall. And God says, Joshua, I want you to go take this city with these slaves, these former slaves, these people who have never fought in a battle in their life. And we're going to take this city. They were ill-equipped. They were untrained. And God's strategy, here's the God thought. I want you to walk around the wall every day for seven days and just be quiet. Okay. Great military strategy. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. And then when I say, I want you to shout. Okay. <laughs> we're going to look like fools. And we're just going to be standing outside this city yelling at a wall. But, 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 we will do what you say. See, God is looking for humility. He wants us to listen to him and obey him. And he will get us out of our mess. They did it, and the walls came crumbling down. God gives these kind of instructions over and over and over and over to people in the Bible and to you and I. Are we listening? You say, okay, how can I hear God then? If listening to him is the key, how can I hear? I'm going to give you three things very quick. One, be available. Be available. Again, I'm going to say it again. You've got to set the dang phone down. Turn off the television. Shut down the computer. Get off the gaming. And make yourself available. Not 100%. But sometimes you got to carve it out or forget about it. you got to carve out time. Look what the Bible says here. The Lord God has given me, has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Many times you don't know what to say to somebody that's suffering. But if you listen to God, you will. He will give you a what to say to somebody who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to get back on my social media and watch everybody's opinions about what's going on. No, that's not what it says. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. That means your ear can be closed to him. God will open it if you'll make yourself available. And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Number one, you have to be available. Number two, you have to be willing. I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. You see, you've got to be willing to hear things that you don't expect or that you don't want to hear. Like love your enemy. Like forgive them. Like quit being an idiot. Let go of your anger. Let go of the resentment and bitterness. Let go of your agenda. Relinquish control. Obey your parents. Oh, look at that one. Obey your boss. Follow the leader. Pray for the president. You see, Jesus will lead you to do things that are helpful. That will bring healing to a situation. But it might be really uncomfortable for you. Which is the third one. you got to be ready to do what he says. Okay, you know what this scripture is referring to? This is a prophetic. you got to be ready to do what he says. you got to be available. you got to be willing to hear something you don't want to hear, like my wife says. Until you're willing to hear no, you're not, you're not ready to listen to God. And then be ready. And so, the be ready. This scripture, this scripture is a prophetic scripture about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what the scripture is prophetically talking about. And Jesus says, the Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. What does that mean? Jesus in the garden said, God, Father, is there any other way for us to be able to do this for the human race? 
besides me going to the cross to be tortured and crucified and experience separation from you, Father, and to take the sin of the world into my body. Is there any other way? And God said, no, this is what we got to do. That's what prophetically talking about. Jesus, he made himself available. He was willing to hear and he was ready to do the Father's will. Number two, uh, number one, Moses listened to God. Number two, he did what he told him to do. Close here pretty quick. He did what he told him to do. Look at this promises. I love this. If you are willing and obedient, willing and obedient, willing and obedient, not just obedient. God doesn't just want our perfunctory have to obey. I have to obey my parents. I have to obey the police. I have to obey God. I have to obey my boss. I have to obey my coach. I have to obey. I'll do it. That's like Billy that's in a shopping cart and his mom says, Billy, sit down. And he says, no. He says, sit down, Billy. No. Sit down or else. And so Billy sits down and says, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. <laughs> that's not willing and obedient. He said, well, I had one person just recently say, well, I don't have a problem with authority. I just have a problem. Well, you got to ask yourself what your definition of bad authority is. Do you mean that they made a decision that you don't like? Not abusive, not illegal, not immoral, just they would, they're doing it a different way than you would do it if you were in charge. And so, and everybody that would be following you would feel the same way about you. No. Following authority, submitting to authority isn't even tested until the leader does something differently than the way you would do it, but you follow willingly and obediently anyway. You say, are you kidding me? No, that's called humility. And God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. There's no place that your humility and pride will be tested like submission to authority. Boom. All right, that was worth the price of admission right there. What is God telling you to do that is uncomfortable, that's causing you fear? Is it to share your faith during this time? Is it to forgive those who have hurt you? Is it to have that conversation with a friend of another race and be willing to deeply listen without feeling threatened? See, listening doesn't mean you agree, but it does mean that I think that what you have to say might have some worth and value. See, when you and I shut each other down, when you're in part of the cancel culture, you know what that means? If you don't do it my way, I'm canceling you out. You're worthless. You're nothing. That is so dishonoring. That is not going to heal our nation. That's not going to heal relationships. It takes courage and humility to listen to somebody else's viewpoint. You don't have to agree. Here's a great accent for you. Listen, learn, love. Listen, learn, love. If, you don't, if you're not willing to listen, you're prideful. And you might be filled with fear because you're afraid of what you might hear. It might challenge your paradigm. You might be afraid that it's going to pull you out of your group because you actually heard something that makes sense that your group rejects. And now where are you? You're a no man's land. Don't be a coward. We need courageous men and women to stand up right now in the midst of this and say, I will listen to people who are different than me. Even if you don't agree with them, they will feel loved by you. They'll feel honored by you, as you would as they listen to you. There are a lot of intelligent good people on all different sides of all these issues. And if we will honor each other, the healing can begin. And then thirdly, he let God define the outcome. And this is what we have to do. At the beginning, Moses argued with God about the outcome. 
when the person in charge or God in particular says, you know, this is what I want you to do. And you say, oh, yeah, but here's how I want it to end up. What I've learned with God and what I read in the Bible is it never ends up the way we think it's going to end up. But it always ends up better. This is the part of the relinquishing of control into the hands of God. When you come to the place where you believe that God has your best interest in mind, he knows better than you do. His plan for you and for America is better than yours and ours. It truly is. Look at the scripture, familiar to many of you. For I know the plans I have for you. If you would just trust me, they are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He would not have to have written that to us if we had trouble believing it. You see, we are control freaks. I don't want anybody to control my life or my destiny but me. You see, that, that's going to get you into trouble over and over and over again because you can't even see beyond in front of your nose what's going to happen next. But God knows. You see, the Israelites did not believe that Moses nor God, one, had their best interest in mind. They didn't trust. And two, that God and Moses knew what the heck they were doing. And so they wanted to take their destiny into their own hands. You know where they would have ended up? Back into slavery. Back into bondage. Back into oppression. God was trying to lead them into the promised land. A land that he called flowing with milk and honey. But you know what happened? They wouldn't trust him. Over and over and over again. It took a long time. It ended up taking 40 years. And here's what happened. Over the 40 year period, God delivered them. Breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. You can read every time they ran into no food, no shelter, no water. Every time they ran into another obstacle, another trial, there was another opportunity for them to trust God and they didn't. They fainted in their faith. And because of that, they died in the desert and never saw God's plan for their life. Don't die in the desert. Don't let your faith faint. Don't throw away your confidence in the goodness of God. He is going to see you through if you will believe. Now Moses delivered God's people. He freed them from the Egyptian rule and eventually got the next generation into the promised land. Our founding fathers here in our nation freed us from the tyranny of British rule and gave us freedom of religion and freedom of speech. But Jesus did something greater than both of them. Jesus delivered us from the oppression, the power, the bondage of Satan. Now, many of you, you've already accepted this, and you're in. You're in the kingdom of God. You're a child of God. All this is going to go away. You're going to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. There are so many of you who have never done this yet, and you need to do it today. I want to read a few scriptures to you, and then I'm going to pray for you to come to Jesus today. You need to come to Christ. This is all temporary, but then where's your soul going to go in eternity? What's going to happen when you die? Where are you going to go? Jesus promises you, you'll spend eternity with him if you will just give your life to him. Look at these scriptures. God has freed us from the power of darkness. Talk about freedom. And brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And John 8.36 says, Therefore, if the Son makes you, you, free, you shall be free indeed. And he was talking here about freedom from oppressive religion. 
Maybe you grew up in a religion about rules and I can't do this and I can't do this and I got to jump through these hoops and I got to do all these kind of things and I still don't really know what's going to happen when I die. Jesus says that if you will put your trust in him, you have eternal life. Not maybe one day. He said you have eternal life because it's in him. And then finally, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through his son Jesus, our Lord. Let me tell you what's happening. One of the main things happening regarding what's happening in our nation. It's really about spiritual warfare. Because what is ultimately happening right now is Satan behind the scenes is trying to shut down the gospel. That is really what's happening. I want you to listen to me on this. The freedom of religion is at stake. And the freedom of speech is the entry road into the freedom of religion being shut down. And the social issues the Bible talks about, if you stand up for what the Bible actually teaches on many of these issues, you're going to be considered a, a bigot and a hater and judgmental. And so people are backing away from the Bible to the point where it's going to be considered hate speech. You can't even read certain chapters in Russia and China and different places right now. You can't even read Romans chapter 1 that talks about certain sins in the Bible. Romans chapter 1. You read it, there are people in prison today because they read the Bible out publicly. That's what's coming. See, that's what this is really all about. So you have to make a decision. Are you going to stand for Christ and be persecuted and be called names that you're not? That's what they did to him. And the Bible says you need to identify with Christ and suffer persecution. The Bible says everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But, one, people will find Christ through you because you won't compromise. And secondly, when you see him face to face, he will look at you with the scars in his hands, and he will see your scars, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Cross the chicken line today. Give your life to Jesus. Let him save your soul. That's what's at stake. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Let's pray this out loud. If you've never come to Christ before, pray this out loud. Say, dear Jesus. Just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus. I believe you came to forgive me for my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. And I believe... God raised you from the dead. And I'm accepting you right now as my Savior. I don't know about anything else. But I do know I need my sins forgiven. And I need peace of heart and mind. And so I believe the gospel. And I'm receiving you, Jesus, right now as my Savior. If you did that, please comment on the thread. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to reach out to you or somebody will. And welcome to the family of God. Joshua, we close us in worship today. Amen. God bless you, family. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, we will see you next week. Hmm. What a powerful word. What a powerful word. Hmm. I really feel like this song was appropriate and God wanted to um, remind us that there's a wind of change coming, not just in our nation, but in the world. 
And we need the breath of God to blow in this nation, to bring about those winds of change. As I was sitting listening to this sermon, I felt like there's nothing quite like a, a fresh, you know, breeze blowing through the trees as you're walking through the yard or something. It's refreshing. And I feel like God wants to do that today, uh, right after the word was preached. Now he wants to just blow this refreshing wind on us, on this nation. It reminds me of the disciples when they were in the upper room waiting and praying. And then a mighty wind blew. And then they were get filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they went out and preached with boldness. Thank you, Lord.
you and give you